Welcome to Good Game, a podcast for crypto insiders with your hosts, Imran and Chow. Welcome back to episode six uh, with Chow and I at Good Game. The last couple of weeks, a lot's happened. Um, you probably heard about the uh, sudden rise of Art Gobblers, which has been in the works for probably for the past six months. And so Chow and I decided to dedicate this episode to NFTs just generally. Uh, what are our thoughts, what we're excited about, and maybe some history lessons. Before we get started, anything top of mind for you, Chow? We have a couple questions from uh, our audience, and I really want to touch upon those. Uh, one is yeah. um, the difference between the various chains, the various layer ones uh, in the context of NFTs. You know, how are the yep. cultures different between Solana and Ethereum, for example? Yep. I also want to talk about uh, your bag of NFTs, our, our bags. <laughs> our bags. <laughs> our bags. Uh, what, what are some of the... Uh, you know, specific collections that we're excited about, obviously not financial advice. Um, but uh, I think that's going to be super fun to talk about. Uh, but yeah, let's do it. Great. I think we should go back in time, um, back in 2017, when you and I were just trying to figure out what was happening. <laughs> EIP-721 was introduced by this, uh, this guy named Dieter Shirley and the other folks that proposed it. The idea was supposed to be just simple, um, you know, create a standard interface for non-fungible tokens, aka they called it Deeds at the time. Theater is is the CTO of um, CryptoKitties, right? Oh, you're right. He is. That actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. That, good call out. And what was interesting was while like that was being proposed and launched. Uh, in parallel to this, CryptoKitties launched as well. Do you remember that? Yeah. And if you guys don't know what CryptoKitties is, it, the idea is pretty simple, similar to uh, Axie Infinity, where you're uh, breeding, creating, buying digital cats. And um, it's more of a kind of gamification method where you're having fun just you know creating different types of cats. And it turns out in 2017... Um, there's this like craze around CryptoKitties where volume peaked at about $2 million in one day for, uh, for CryptoKitties. And guess how much percentage of the Ethereum transactions it took? I think you bloated the, the entire chain, right? The, the CryptoKitties. It did. Um, almost 12% of all of Ethereum transactions were <laughs> CryptoKitties. And then it suddenly died right away. So it was this like huge peak. Like it like went through this like hyperbolic growth, and then it just like crashed. To me, what it showed was what could NFTs become, right? You always see these like lightning in the bottle moments where there's a sudden growth and then just like craters. And I think that's one of the reasons why I started to become more intrigued about NFTs was because of that uh, incident. I remember uh, USV invested in uh, Dapper Labs back in the day. By the way, yeah. when I say yeah. uh, Theater Shirley's is the uh, CTO of, of uh, CryptoKitties, he's all, he's obviously the kitty, the CTO of uh, Dapper Labs who built Flow. Dapper Labs. And I, I remember yep. USV invested in, in Dapper Labs back in the day, like 2017, 2018, and people were like, "Yep, why why did they invest in a freaking cats game?" on-chain cats game yeah. obviously they all missed the point um but they got a lot of shit for exactly. it exactly <laughs> and and the nfts were actually nfts games were actually the most obvious 
go to market for any layer one. Yeah. Um, that's why they invested in, in Dapper Labs, who eventually built uh, the flow, the flow blockchain. I saw no other use cases for NFTs back then, except for games. Like I was reading through my old articles that I published back then around 2018, and I only talked about games. Same thing. I never saw anything I, else. I, I thought of NFTs as collectibles. I did not think of NFTs as digital identity, which, by the way, yeah. five years later today is the main thing behind apes and, and punks. Yep. What was cool about it was as I was reading EIP 721, there was like a list of startups that were working on this concept. Some of the ones that I'll point out that you probably know is like CryptoKitties, CryptoPunks, Rare Pep, uh, Pepe's, Decentraland are like the ones that like were the main ones. And there's like a whole host of others that aren't there anymore. Like they failed or they don't exist anymore. But what was also interesting was while all of this was happening, you have EIP 721, you have these like cohort of startups that are trying to build like NFT uh, standards or infrastructure around it. Then you have like OpenSea that just went through Y Combinator and uh, they were building the first marketplace for NFTs at the time. I think uh, OpenSea had at least three competitors that I know of back in the yeah, day, uh, they but did. none of them managed to survive <laughs> till the, they, the... They ended up pivoting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because uh, the the volume was so low in OpenSea for for so long that people didn't have enough, you know, persistence or courage to continue building, and they ended up pivoting to other ideas that didn't that may have not worked out. But that's like the history, right? Like that's where it all kind of started. By the way, there there were there were NFTs before Ethereum. Uh, there were NFTs on 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 Bitcoin. I don't know the exact history there, but I vaguely remember there there were attempts there was an attempt yeah i'll have to look more into it but there was an attempt around it but didn't really quite take off yeah so from 27 to 2020 we've seen this like huge like push for nfts we're seeing ecosystems being built out incredible companies etc which i'll touch on before i touch on like what's what's happened since then i say we go over high level of like what's happy on the, all the layer ones just to get a good understanding of of what each layer one is, what it does, and what types of NFTs are coming out of those ecosystems. I found maybe probably six or seven layer ones that I think are at least interesting for us to talk about, um, especially because I see so much of it on Twitter and uh, you know we have to put some facts around it. Um, turns out all-time volume for Ethereum uh, NFTs has been roughly 30 billion which which is probably true and a lot of it's driven by cryptopunks autoglyphs rare pepes and what it what i've seen with ethereum community unlike any other community is that a lot of builders that are coming into the space from the nft perspective are pure like missionary builders right they care about open source they care about building the right community and they use that as a, a lever to kind of build their own community and attract the right people. Second in, in volume is Ronin, Axie Infinity. They've done over about $4 billion in total NFT volume. And it's the idea everyone knows is pretty simple. You buy, mint, trade, breed axes. It's part of the game. And that's the only NFT action that's happening. It's purely around Axie. 
Solana at, comes at 2.7 billion total sales volume. So primarily the way I've seen it was that it's primarily retail and speculators, right? right? So like unlike Ethereum, where you do have some retail and speculators, but I consider Ethereum more the, the quality of the art is like for collectors, yep. like genuine. More collectors than, than speculators That's on right. um, Ethereum. I heard the same thing about Solana, yeah. which is, you know, the, the opposite of Ethereum, more, more speculators, more volume on the new mints rather than existing yeah. collections. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. I'm really surprised that Axie is number two. Um, Ronan is number two. Um, yeah, than I was lot. surprised too. Could, could it be that some of the NFT collections are not... Like, wh- wh- where'd you get the data? Because indexing the NFTs is, is really tough. Cryptoslam.io, okay. which has data on all the all the chains. Okay. But you know what's interesting about Solana is, I mean, I bought some NFTs on Solana and I'm down bad. On many of them. <laughs> Specifically, I bought like Solana Monkey Business um, because it's, you know, one of the first genuine genuine communities. But uh, Degen Apes is another one. But those two, I feel like are forks or derivatives of Bored Apes. Yeah. So they have a pretty good community, but I don't think it's as genuine as, you know, the Bored Apes community or the CryptoPunks community. Even between, right? even between apes and punks, I feel like there is a difference. Oh, absolutely. I feel like the punks are a lot more genuine, authentic, missionary. But I might, I might be biased. <laughs> no, you're right. Fortunately, unfortunately, Yuga Labs acquired CryptoPunks, which I'll talk a bit more about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but 100% agreed with that thesis. But I will say this, though. Although Solana is primarily a speculative chain for trading NFT assets, I found that there is one community that resembles a lot like the Bored Apes community, or probably, I don't know about CryptoPunks, but Bored Apes for sure. It's called uh, D-Gods or Utes. Yep. Have you heard of those guys? Yeah. I went through like how they launched, and they were very community-focused. They had some like glitches in the beginning where they accidentally... Didn't rug their users, but had a glitch where they some of the users lost on the mint. Um, but over time, they redeemed themselves. Um, they were at one point they were going to shut the project down, which was pretty interesting. But uh, they ended up building this community, and now they're probably one of the most valid communities on Solana. They have their own token, they have their own marketplace, and uh, most recently, which I'll touch on later, is like they went zero royalties as well. So there's something happening at Solana. I think it's more time is needed for other genuine communities to be built around it. Avalanche had about 400 million total NFT volume sales, primarily dominated by games. Hmm. No, like, you know, there's some speculative stuff happening, but it's primarily like games or farming of games. Which one? The top three, Krabada, which we heard about in the bull market, Hmm. Uh, Yield Hunt Hunters, and Chicken. Chicken's probably the most recent one. That's the, like if you look at the past thirty or sixty days, the most volume right now is on chicken. And chicken is is essentially a farmable game uh, where you take your chicken, you you stake your chicken, uh, and then you get egg, egg tokens. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't know of like the quality of the games, etc. But there's Get, like the top three most volume, like highest volume NFT collections are all games on Avalanche. Polygon at 400 million, 
primarily gaming too. So you have Zed Run, if you remember Zed yeah. Run, it's like racing horses. Yeah. Um, crypto unicorns, same thing. You um, have to breed unicorns, buy land, cultivate the land, feed the unicorns. But most recently, it was Reddit. Yes. And uh, Reddit, as you know, had uh, about $10 million in total trading volume or sales volume. Only 10? 10. Yeah. And then finally, I only bring this up because I hear it from a lot of like uh, collectors about Tezos. But Tezos has some sort of like niche community of generative art. Uh, it's a marketplace called FX Hash has about $20 million of volume. Uh, total has about 50 million. So not much, but I only bring it up because there is like a small group of collectors that admire the art there. So speaking of Tezos, like we never spoke about Tezos, but I don't, I don't think we've ever spoke about Tezos since they launched. That's right. <laughs> but, but Tezos seems to have a really interesting, at least special, uh, go to market. Cause I, I watch soccer. I, I watch European soccer and my, my team is, Oh, okay. Um, Manchester, Manchester United and, and they have, Tezos, the Tezos logo on their uh, jersey this uh, this season. Interesting. And I, I thought I was like, I was like, why did they pick Tezos? Like Tezos must be yeah. spending a lot of money for to get into like the the retail uh, mindshare. I was really surprised by that. But but yeah, I, I'm not surprised that Tezos has their own niche of NFT collectors. Yeah, I'm actually really curious what's happening on Tezos. To be honest, um, I remember the ICO. And since then, I haven't heard much. Their whole thing about NFTs was that they were, um, uh, you know, environment friendly. Uh, yeah. Because back then, Ethereum was still on proof of work, and um, they used the ESG as their initial uh, go to market. Got it. So those are high level of the layer ones, and what's happening in those ecosystems. Uh, there's one more. Sorry, I forgot. Flow. Mm. Uh, Flow had 1.1 billion in total trading volume or sales volume. It's primarily driven by NBA Top Shots and NFL Top Shots. Are they still active, or was it just a flash? It, it's it's still active. Okay. No, no, they're still active. Uh, volume has dramatically gone down since like the bull market, yeah. but people are still buying and selling NFTs uh, on those two um, platforms. I find it interesting that you said you got burned in the Solana NFTs. I, I looked at Board Apes and Punks. They barely moved in, in, in pricing ETH. They're, they're, they've been pretty stable uh, over the past year or so. And that's reflective of the communities behind it, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, if you want a uh, missionary community, then you know, you'll have like, a certain group of people that will just never sell. And you'll have some that want to really get into the community and will slowly accumulate those nfts we've seen this with CryptoPunks and board apes over and over and over again over the past just past 12 months and it's analogous to bitcoin ethereum like every bear market yep uh, bitcoin ethereum uh, are the ones that that are down the least yep and so yeah that could be um you know those could be the blue chips which i i would agree with and so that's what's happening if you think about nfts today what breakout NFT do you think attributed to all of what's happening today? It's got to be punks. Yep, it's punks. Uh, and so I was like researching punks, and you know, there's some interesting history behind like generative art generally. 
Uh, did you know that generative art was started about 50 years ago? Okay. What, what was it? What was it back then? Yeah. So the concept was to introduce randomness into art. Is this guy named Herbert Frank um, around early 50s. He used an oscilloscope, uh, which is essentially a way to analyze waveforms of electronic signals. And he would, uh, he would use it. And then he would uh, take a moving camera and take a picture of it. And then he would create randomness be- between the moving of the camera and then the wavelengths that would move on the oscilloscope. And that was like the, the starting of what would be known as generative art. Over the years, programming languages evolved and uh, people started becoming more accustomed to programming using like Fortran and BASIC. And they started to create, you know, like starting the, the early foundation of generative art based on that by introducing randomness. And that happened throughout the 60s, 70s. And then in 2017, two guys started Lava Labs and they launched what would be known as CryptoPunks. The aesthetics is supposed to remind us of like the early 70s punks. And they introduced an algorithm. So every time you would claim an NFT, the algorithm would generate, uh, will pull together different traits through randomness and pull together this NFT that would become the NFT that you claim. When you claim the NFT, it was free. There was no minting cost completely free and you just had to pay gas fees that was really the start of cryptopunks as it is today so many similarities with bitcoin right so many so many punk is the is the bitcoin of of uh, nfts this uh conception where basically a fair launch right there was no like whitelist or anything like that right nothing um you can, anyone can participate uh completely free it, it was not an ico not not a public sale um, even Ethereum does not fall, fall under that category. Ethereum did an ICO, but Bitcoin was the one where you can just participate permissionlessly. Yep. And it was the OG. It was like, basically, I mean, it's, it's probably not the first NFT collection, but it's the one that uh, really stood the, the test of time. Yep. So this, with, with the launch of CryptoPunks, and in fact, it took, I think, months before all of it was claimed. So there were, there were still like... You know, the, the, the claiming process for CryptoPunks was ongoing for a very long time. And so that kind of showed that the people didn't really catch on to what was happening in the space. Um, in fact, I found out about it uh, much later, like 2019. So it took me a year, year and a half. I certainly didn't hear about punks in 2017. It, it was all CryptoKitties back then. Yeah. But it brought together like this core group of generative artists because people, generative art of, artists knew what was happening. And in particular, it brought in this guy named Snowfro. And Snowfro is a Mexican generative artist. He was part of the original CryptoPunks community. He probably held, holds about 60, 70 CryptoPunks to this day. And his idea was, um, you know, could we create an algorithm and output and the output of the algorithm all on chain? And uh, November 2020th, uh, uh, he launched the first marketplace for generative art called Artblocks. And uh, in parallel to that, he launched his own collection, which was called Chromie Squiggles. Ah. Hence why Chromie Squiggles is 
is on a run most recently, yeah. right? It went from, I don't know, like five ETH to like 15, or now it's on around 13 ETH. I bought one of those uh, when it first, like not first came out, but a couple months. But uh, I only bought it because I had no clue what was going on and everybody was FOMOing. <laughs> <in the round. laughs> I, I started appreciating journey art, art probably later on, but um, back then it was just more on the FOMO. Yeah. So that's the history between like, you know, how our blocks got started and CryptoPunk start, got started. And the question I always ask myself is like, what makes generative art valuable? Like, what do you think about generative art? I, mean, I, I, I don't, I don't get art. I, I don't get, I don't get art yeah. as, as uh, NFTs. I'm not a, I, I don't have the collector gene that, that, that you do. Uh, I have yeah. a, a lot of my friends who were in NFT already did have that collector gene. The only NFTs I, I really hold myself is, um, is punks and apes. But the, view, the way I view punks and apes, I don't view punks as gener generative art. Um, I view punks as really this digital identity, digitally native identity. And the way I, I, I can explain this is um, the ultimate bull case for um, something like punks is this idea of digital nations. Um, yeah. And, you know, you've probably, are, you've probably all heard of, you know, uh, this... Uh, network states idea that biology has been uh, pushing yeah but it's it's fundamentally the same idea uh you have holders of the punks uh nft that eventually become the citizens of this new digital nation and what they yeah. can do is they have uh treasury potentially uh, like nonstyle is probably the the most uh yeah um, nonstyle is, is probably the the epitome of, of this idea but the nft holders would hold uh, or the, 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 they, they basically have on-chain ownership of, of the uh, treasury. They can vote how the treasury should be used. Uh, they can potentially, you know, make investments into various projects, uh, build stuff for their community, but eventually even buy stuff in the, in the physical world uh, to really establish this um, idea of, of a digital nation. Uh, th this is the ultimate bull case for, for PFPs, like PFP generative art or whatever, like, you know, the, the, this idea, this whole idea of digital identity. Sometimes I feel like NFTs are more like DAO, are more like DAOs than DAOs are. Like DAOs, most DAOs we know of today are, they have like a fungible token, ERC-20, as their core mm -hmm. way to share ownership and to distribute power, voting power. Mm -hmm. But I view NFTs even more as DAOs than, than the current DAOs are because they offer something extra, which is the identity, the NFT, they're unique right? Unlike fungible tokens, by definition, they're not unique. They're fungible with each other. And so this identity creates um, a sense of belonging to this digital nation. Uh, you really feel like you're um, a part of it and you can express yourself to the outside world. And then sometimes people, people say like, you know, DAOs are like corporations, Actually, I think DAOs are way more than corporations. Like the fundamental difference between DAOs and corporations is that when a corporation owns some assets, do they really own the assets? Like who guarantees the, the property rights? It's the broader legal system, right? It's, it's, it's the, their, their ownership of those assets is guaranteed by the social consensus of an entire country. Whereas if you're a DAO and, and you don't, you own some assets, you truly own those assets on chain. You, you, you actually 
have full ownership. Your property rights are not ultimately guaranteed by an entire country. Your property rights are yeah. fully on chain. They're guaranteed by the consensus of the chain itself. So the key difference between DAOs and corporations is property rights. And with property rights, truly native property rights, you can build digital nations. So that's how I think about this whole analog or a concept behind PFTs as digital nations. The idea makes a lot of sense in regards to you know PFPs becoming digital nations. The question is always, what is the process of getting there? And I've seen many communities that have launched quickly where they didn't have the right transition path to doing that, and they ultimately failed. Um, and so that that's like one way to think about it. The other way to think about it is like, what is Board Apes doing with their strategy of building this like digital nation? And maybe we can, we're going to touch on this later, but high level, um, the way you think about Board Apes is they're building this digital nation and it's going to be, it's going to live in the metaverse. Um, and so you have a group of collectors that bought into the NFT and over time, they want to manifest each of these digital identities into a world where everyone can communicate and coordinate, play games, etc. And so that's like the way that Board Apes is thinking about it or Yuga Labs is thinking about it. And I don't think any one community has figured out what this digital nation strategy would look like in the long run. But uh, it's quite interesting to see how people are, you know, carving out the path so that they can get to this kind of end point. I do know that, like, when you look at the PFP communities generally, people are all bounded by a single identity, like single meta identity, right? Like, I am bounded by where my family is from in India, right? Um, and so when I go back there, everyone talks the same, they eat the same, etc. Now, you have this on the internet, and the identity that's governing this new group of people is under the ethos of like the board apes or the crypto punks. And they all have different like ways to communicate and talk and uh, different rights, whatever. But it's interesting to see some of these properties develop on the internet. Yeah. So, I mean, th this whole idea of sense of belonging to a digital nation is my yeah. by far my number one long-term the bull thesis for any type yeah. of NFTs. But I want to talk about other NFTs with you as well. What are some of the other types of uh, interesting types of NFTs that, that you, you've seen? Yeah, so uh, we touched on like profile picture NFTs, which is kind of where, you know, maybe CryptoPunks started and then Board Apes launched. It was founded by four guys, Greg, Wiley, Zishan, and Kareem. And they launched it around February or April 23rd, uh, mint price was $240 or 0 0.0 ETH. They raised $450 million at $4 billion uh, valuation by A16Z and many others. They launched their APE token, which is currently sitting at around $4.7 They used some of that capital to acquire the beloved CryptoPunks and Mebits, uh IP from Larva Labs. There's this big contention, if you, I don't know if you remember, between like Larva Labs and CryptoPunks holders where um, the licensing was uh, held by Larva Labs 
And so the each individual NFT holder didn't have the rights to their CryptoPunk. Mm-hmm. And it created a lot of contention. And so that was like one element. And then you see, you know, other NFTs launching where they would either launch as, as a CC0 project, um, which I'll explain what that is in a bit. Um, and or, you know, they'll give some rights to the of the IP to the individual holders. Mm-hmm. And so Lara, Yuga Labs ended up acquiring CryptoPunks and Mebits, and then they gave full commercial rights to the holders. Uh, but they won't transfer the full copyright to the holders. Just they got they have some commercial rights around it. And so CryptoPunks and Mebits community, they were pretty happy about that, uh, about that piece. I don't know if they're excited about Yuga Labs being the, the parent company mm-hmm. behind CryptoPunks, but that's just the idea around CryptoPunks. I, I, saw, yeah. I saw an interesting project recently that uh, where the, uh, the punk or some of the NFT holders, I can't remember if it's punks or, or apes, but they're able to license the, their, the actual JPEG associated with their NFT uh, to like brands like Nike or you know, other fashion brands. Where they can print yeah. the the actual JPEG onto the the sneakers or or shirts or whatever. Oh, that's cool. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting because that 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 told me that those NFT holders actually had some really interesting commercial rights. So they can monetize. They have extra ways to monetize the the uh, the NFTs that they hold. Uh, not just like flipping the NFTs, but they can actually generate some yield on, on it. Um, so that, that, that's like where the commercial rights, who actually owns the commercial, commercial rights, uh, matters. It does. If you look at like, you know, IP today, all the IP is held by large corporations or media companies. And in order for any end user to take advantage of that, they, the only way they could do that is by buying the products at the end of the day. But now if you become a semi owner of, the IP, these IPs could become more durable in the long run. It does, I could see this becoming similar to like Disney, right? Mm-hmm. Where Disney has this very durable century-wide like brand. Um, I could see, you know, these NFTs becoming like multi-generational, similar in that sense. So we've heard a lot of, we've heard about CC0 licensing, creative commons. What is it actually? Like if I want to purchase an NFT, you know, what rights do I get? What rights do, you know, other holders of other collections get? We can start off with the basics, right? Uh, if you know uh, CC0, it's part of the crypto uh, creative commons uh, licenses framework where they bring up, there's like six or seven different sub licenses within that framework that ultimately govern how, you know, the uh the content on on the internet lives and who could use it and what what they can use it for it was introduced around the time when um web 2 was just starting to take off or the internet was just starting to take off and uh people were using songs um and they were remixing them or they were taking other people's like blogs or content and using it for their own distribution or for their own content and so there's this framework in place now that controls who owns the content and how this content could be given away to others at no cost so that it could become public domain as an example. So the crux of this conversation is going to be around CC0 because this is where NFTs could become public domain, meaning that anyone can use it. 
um, and it's it's like a public good. And so we're, what we're hearing a lot about is um, uh, NFTs that use this standard or this framework as a way to kind of grow and increase the adoption. There are a couple um, early projects, I believe it was Toads and a couple others that launched using the CC0 model. And the idea was very simple, is that if we allow it for public goods and everyone would use it, including brands, and brands would want to incorporate this as a way to increase the overall value of that community in itself. That was a basic thesis. I haven't seen anything take off yet based on that concept. So when, when brands those, uh, use those NFTs as public goods, they don't have to pay anything to the holders. They don't. That's, That's right. That's very interesting. Yeah. And we'll talk more about it, but NounsDAO is under that concept for CC0. Mm-hmm. And you saw that on um, Super Bowl, right? There was a commercial and you saw the Nouns glasses in one of the videos. Um, I forgot what they were promoting, mm-hmm. but it was a commercial and they used the Nouns IP as a way to uh, launch this commercial mm-hmm. during the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I can see that happen. When you when you just let people permissionlessly use your, your IP, uh, there's all, all yeah. sorts of interesting content can happen. And ultimately that's going to drive more attention to your IP, to your brand. Um, yeah. And ultimately will incre- increase uh, the value of, um, of your NFTs. So I, I can totally see that happen. So it's the exact opposite of the example that I gave before, where the, the NFT yeah. holders uh, sell their licenses um, to, or not sell their licenses, but they, 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 let, they, they sell their, the, the right to use their NFTs Two brands like Nike to print those JPEGs onto the sneakers, so it's the it's a different way to to monetize. And I guess just going down the monetization route, and we'll talk more about NounsDAO and what I call the Youth System because I think, uh, or it's called the Y System, which offers a new uh, dynamic in regards to how to manage IP. But monetization generally has been primarily around minting royalties. You see. Uh, merchandise being sold. There's like in real life events, but those are probably the most used monetization strategies for NFT communities mm-hmm. and then launching a token. No. And so those are like the five or six that I've seen that are common in terms of monetization. I don't know if I'm sold on any of them, to be quite frank. It just seems like a means to the end just to solve this like problem. I think royalties, like the ones who can really dictate or ask for royalties are the ones that have been, that have created incredible art. Like if you look at like Tyler Hobbs, Fidenzas or Ringers or CryptoPunks, you know, Bored Apes, they can demand their own royalties because people um, will pay for, will gladly pay for the art and keep it. But where I don't see royalties working is for art, art or projects that have it, uh, had the same level of success, but are also demanding fees so that they can monetize in their own way. And the reason why I say this is because I think the first has been explored, right? There are blue chips that have kind of won the space of either generative art or PFPs. Now, I think the pressure should be more about wh- what can you do in those spaces and innovate. And, and interestingly enough, we're starting to see more and more innovation that's happening because of that. As you know, in the bear market, margins get compressed. And as margins get compressed, people are going to find ways to make it cheaper, easier, faster 
to get more users on their platforms. And so you started seeing this happen, especially on Solana, where um, you have a zero fee marketplace that opened up, right? And so what it ultimately ended up doing was uh, it circumvented royalties from their user or from the to the, that would have gone to the creator and completely uh, made it to zero. So creators have now earned no NFTs that would go on or royalties on that platform, whatever volume that's traded on that platform. And so then it forces these creators to think about what can we build or what should we build so that I can start to earn revenue. Obviously, they make a bulk of their cash up front by minting fees, but ongoing, it really puts the pressure on what types of products these NFT communities should be building. I don't know if you have any thoughts around that, but uh, you know some really cool examples I can give you of what projects are doing to circumvent that is like the Azuki community. So the Azuki community has built out this like loyalty platform. You can go on this website. So as long as you have this NFT, you can log in. It gives you cool stats. You're able to connect with other community members within the Azuki tribe. And it starts to build this like connectivity between members. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the right route because as you mentioned, if NFTs are going to become these di- digital nation, then these digital nations need to talk and build like some sort of bond that has a, that adds the feel or sense of uh, community. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, Discord is the right way to do that because in Discord, especially when you leave your Discord open, you get a lot of spam and misinformation and other things that will really deter the community. In fact, NounsDAO just decided to shut their Discord down yeah, as well. Yeah, I saw that. So that kind of gives you the the idea. So speaking of uh, Azuki and, and uh, Discord, I- I've been thinking about this a little bit. So like you and I have seen like, so many like NFT social, you know, apps like chat apps or messaging yeah. apps, NFT gated, whatever. So there's so yeah. many of them; it's unbelievable. But yeah, I feel like th- th- they're all making um, the same mistake in the sense that you provide a generic messaging app for every single like NFT communities. But I feel like the NFT communities want their own white label solution like they all have their own like identity they all want to express their own preferences i feel like the the right approach is not to build like a discord for for nft communities but rather providing like an api sdk or something that's very customizable for each community to build on top of like you can go go on to like azuki website or punk's website and then you start chatting there Rather than chatting like within Discord or a separate like messaging yep. app, right? But anyway, I, I think um, there's a lot a lot of opportunity for founders building white labeled uh, solution for devs from NFT communities. So messaging is one, but there's also like NFT marketplaces, right? Like one of the problems with let's say Magic Eden or or OpenSea is they're too generic. And on top of that, they charge a fee to every single one. Like every time you make any transaction, you pay a fee to OpenSea rather than the fee going back to the NFT community itself, right? So you don't capture as much value as if you had your own white label solution. Yeah. But anyway, point being, I think NFT communities want their own thing, especially the bigger ones, the bigger communities. Yep. 
they want their own marketplace. They want their own messaging app. They want formally a way to connect in like real life events. So you're going to start to see the, at least where I see this all going is these communities are just going to spin out of like spin out and become its like its own like cultural movement and all of the products, all of what's being built will be built in house as a way to retain ownership as a way to extract value for the community and it, all in the, in the guise of building and growing the community at large. This re- reminds me a lot of like nouns down model and uh, the nouns down model is probably one of the most interesting communities in the space today. Um, nouns out, uh, you could think of is um, semi-generative art. It's, it's generative art, right? So every day, the concept of nouns DAO is every day there's a mint. Um, people bid on it. And once you are the final winner of the project uh, of the mint for the day, um, you purchase it for, let's say, 50 ETH. The 50 ETH would get transferred to the treasury. And collectively, all the people that hold the nouns DAO NFT can manage the treasury together. Um, I think it's sitting at like $40, $50 million in ETH today. I was an early announced DAO buyer, top 30. And um, the idea resonated with me at least because the concept of being able to manage and vote on that treasury could in the long run become very powerful, especially for a brand like NounsDAO, just because of the way it was started and using the premise of CC0 as a way to extend that brand to other ecosystems. I mean... Like, if you really think about it, you could use that treasury to buy a gaming studio. I'm not saying that that could happen, but why couldn't it happen, right? And infuse that gaming studio with its IP and branding and create, you know, killer games. And so that money that's just sitting and just growing over time will become the largest pull factor for people that want to be a part of that community. Even if you go down to like Nounsdow forums, like there's hundreds of posts, hundreds of posts a people that just want access to that capital so that they could do something with it. Yep. Whether it's a founder that's just building some sort of app that can bring something to the announced out community to like events uh, where there's like, you know, let's say New York fashion week, let's create an event so we can attract designers to our community, stuff like that. And so you're starting to see like open source, like methodologies around money and capital as a way to grow, you know, their own businesses or ideas, which I think is is a quite a new concept. I'm really excited about uh, those NFT projects that try to become digital nations, and, and by that I mean um, yeah. they have a, a very strong identity. Everyone wants to be part of it. A lot of people want to be part of it, and they have a treasury yeah. that they they collectively own and manage. And now, now, yeah. out of all the NFT. Co- products I've seen so far is probably um, fits those criteria uh, the, the best. So I, I think that's going to be a big theme in the, in the next five to 10 years, even, even for us, Align style, uh, ultimately we're going to become a, a digital nation yep. and um, same idea behind, behind now style. Uh, we, we want to build a community that a lot of people uh, want to join, want to be part of and have a treasury to manage. Right. I want to keep a close eye on 
uh, this particular vertical of, of digital nations. Are there any other ones that you feel have the potential to become a digital nation so far? You have the the blue the blue chips, yeah. right? So artifacts, which is Clonax, Azuki's, Nouns, yeah. Punks, Apes. I think one of the key criteria to becoming a digital nation is how well the community is governed. How do you feel about the governance model uh, between, you know, Nouns or Punks or Azuki so far? Do you see any similarity, anything that they're doing well or not well? Like I, I went on, I went on Nouns out like forums, uh, or I've looked at how, you know, how they govern those, uh, govern things and make proposals. I feel like it's, it's still very messy. It's it's very it's messy. very active. <laughs> That's why I paused. It's there. very active, but it's like too decentralized for its own good. It's very messy, and I mean, like even Bored Apes really had no forums until they launched a token, right? <laughs> uh, so it was just a bunch of people on Discord that that were you know um, and Twitter and stuff like that. So I think that is like TBD in in how that's going to be governed in, in in the right approach. Um, I haven't seen anything that that I could say with confidence that is successful on the, on the governance side. Yeah. But then again, if you think about like even in DeFi, yeah. <laughs> what's what, what projects are governed really well? I mean, there are only a couple that I could name like Ave, MakerDAO, Compound, that's about it. Mm-hmm. And, but those guys have been building since 2017, right? So anyone that's newer is going to take them a long time to figure out like, who are the right stakeholders? Are they long-term permanent stakeholders? Are they short-term stakeholders? Um, how do we invent, incentivize them? Do we give them salary, etc.? So these communities, I think, are like akin to like um, I don't know a meteor crash or or big bang of some sort. Like you need to have the right uh, amount. Of, well, you know, this is actually an interesting topic. We're, we're going to diverge a bit, but like uh, Wi-Fi or Yearn. Yeah. They had that big bang moment. Yes. And that is exactly what you want, right? You had, you know, thousands of people that were so excited about Yearn because Yearn was like one of the first, like, you know, decentralized yield aggregator that can take capital and use it in ways that other protocols couldn't. And it was a fair and launch. It attracted. It was not. And it was it a was fair not launch. It was It was a fair launch. There is, um, yeah. a, a, you know, a strong, strong leader. Um um and and building a a a useful product at least back in the day yep and i remember like i was a part of it we were a part of it and um it was it brought in a lot of talented people and based on that i seen how it went from like nothing to being really well governed over a very short period of time they had their own struggles don't get me wrong but it, it brought in a lot of intellectual capital that helped them form a DAO governance that worked really well for 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 Yearn. So you got to have that mind share. Otherwise, you're just going to have a bunch of speculators that want the price to go up. <laughs> and typically in the NFT communities, that's what that will that is what will happen. Imran, I want to talk to you about uh, the other types of NFT. So we've talked about uh, PFPs, you know, generative art. We haven't really touched upon. Uh, you know, music, music NFTs, gaming NFTs, right? I want to talk about the long tail of NFT types and whether or not they actually make sense. Because throughout the history of crypto, there have been a lot of attempts to 
just apply crypto for the sake of applying crypto and not uh, everything really makes sense. So I'm curious what you think about like the long tail. Yeah, let's talk about, um, you know, let's start with uh, gaming NFTs. Gaming NFTs took the bulk of the, the, the mindshare in the bull market, especially with Axie, Infinity. And there's some other like sub communities like Crypto Unicorn and others. And the basic premise is you have to buy, you know, two, uh, for let's, a, an example of uh, Axie Infinity, you'd have to buy two Axies uh, and you have to use SLP and Axie or AXS token to breed a new Axie. And then you could use this Axie as a way to play the game, or you could lend it to people and then they could play the game on your behalf. And then you can become like an ambassador that earns a cut of what the player is playing and earning from. You have Crypto Unicorn that is also similar, uh, where you buy, uh, you stake your Crypto Unicorns, you get like, I forgot the token's name, but you get a token in return. Then what you do with this token is, I think it's called Uni or Milk Token. And then you, what you do is you breed two unicorns and then you get a smaller, like a baby unicorn, and then you buy land, you cultivate crops and you feed it and it becomes bigger and you earn more money in the long run, like Uni Tokens. And then you have something new that's called like Limit Break um, that is launched by Gabriel, who is pretty well known in the Web2 gaming space that's launched some successful companies. And the idea of like um, free to own model, which essentially without like if an example of this is like, you know, you buy this NFT and this NFT will earn you more NFTs in the long run. And that will help you play different games. And the NFT that you first purchase could become valuable over time because you're getting access to all of this new NFTs within the game that will make the game more valuable in terms of experience. So you have some of these, these are like three different models that you're seeing within the gaming side. I don't know where it's going to go, to be quite frank, but I do know one thing, which is like, if you look at games today, I can, you know, click on an app and play a game. That's it. In most cases, the apps are free. And then there's like in-game purchases. Uh, if I want to level up or if I want to win the game faster, or if there's you know new routes or new skins that I can use for my character. Otherwise, the game is free. So that friction point in playing the game is zero. Whereas with games like Unicorns and Axie as an example, you have to buy into the game, which is the hardest part. Yes, the, the gaming asset you buy could be speculative and could go up in price, but it brings in the wrong type of users, right? You're bringing speculators versus people that are actually playing the game. And so what Limit Break is doing is, hey, you know, this NFT is free. And then over time, that NFT could become more valuable by airdropping you skins and stuff that will make the game more valuable in the long run. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on, I, on that? I think gaming NFTs in general just makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's It was yeah. the entire reason why Vitalik started Ethereum, by the way. <laughs> Vitalik used to play why, why? Vitalik used to play yeah. uh, World of Warcraft and one day he noticed that uh, one of his favorite characters got uh, uh, weakened by uh, by Blizzard the, the, the developer of, of the game and that's when he realized the uh, the danger of centralization and at least that was the his version of the Genesis story of, of Ethereum and so it makes sense to turn those uh, in-game assets in, in World of Warcraft into NFTs. 
that the game developer has no no way to uh, to really affect. Um, obviously, it's much harder than that because the game developers can potentially do other things to the NFTs, right? Like they can change the entire game loop in a, in a way that basically the the older NFTs are uh, you know become less relevant in the new game game loop. Um, but at least that's the hope. That's the promise of uh, turning in-game items into NFTs that the users truly own. Uh, so gaming NFTs make sense. Uh, as a retail collector investor myself, I wouldn't, I wouldn't own gaming NFTs for the uh, hoping that they will appreciate over time. Mm-hmm. I, I would just hold, uh, you know, the PFPs, uh, the uh, digital identity, the digital nations theme type of uh, NFTs. And potentially those NFTs, like the punks and apes, uh, they can be incorporated uh, by by games, right? Like, you know, potentially the games can build on top of uh, these uh, NFTs. Maybe Yoga Labs themselves will build, I mean, they have been building games on top of uh, their own NFTs, right? Um, so in that sense, uh, the NFT, the in-game NFT, NFTs make sense. But anyway, that's a uh, high-level thought. What do you think of music NFTs? Yeah, um, music NFTs are interesting. Um, we have a platform called Sound.xyz. And Sound.xyz, what they ultimately do is allow creators to monetize by giving away or minting you know, 30 mints of a certain song that they want to bring to the public. And it's a new way to monetize because what's happening in the space, I, I don't know if you got a chance to watch uh, Spotify's um, documentary or like series about how Spotify got started. It's on Netflix. It's really good. It's called The Playlist. But the idea is very interesting, which is back then, if you remember, um, music was, uh, you had to use a, you had to buy a CD and then you buy the CD, then you can listen to the song. Then the internet came, it became very popular, and you had like LimeWire or Pirate Bay where you could download music for free, listen to music. Creators didn't get paid. No one got paid. Uh, Regulators got really pissed. The large businesses got pissed. And there was no way to govern this or extract value because you can't do that on the internet. So Spotify came and said, hey, we're going to create this platform where you can charge. We're going to make it so easy to use that we will charge for convenience. And so ultimately over time, they bought into that idea. And now, you know, Spotify has a very strong grab, like they have a very strong hold on creators today. Because in terms of monetization, they pay 0.04 cents a stream. And that's not a lot. Um, It turns out that, you know, a lot of creators are, they're unhappy with the amount they're making from Spotify. And they have to rely on licensing deals and other things to make the money that they used to make once they were on CDs. So that's the pendulum right now. That's the backdrop. So now let's come back to NFTs. NFTs could be a great way for musicians to monetize their art, especially like certain types of art. And then they can build a sense of community around this type of art by becoming closer to those fans that do buy these NFTs, right? You're already starting to see like this direct to consumer models, even when it comes to fa- like fans, right? Like uh, with uh, large artists, like there's so many artists that are out there that are tweeting or using Instagram as a way to form that like direct bond. Kevin Durant, who's like a 
pretty popular basketball player create his own Discord channel for himself. And he invite, he left it open for everyone to join. So you're starting to see this two concepts starting to come together, which is how do I build a much closer relationship with my fans? And then two is how do I monetize directly without any middlemen? Yeah. And then the idea of NFTs become even more powerful when it, when you think about it from that lens. Are there elements of what you said that I agree with and there are elements I, I hold the opposite view? I don't find music NFTs that interesting. I think they will be a thing uh, in the same way that you collect uh, some limited edition you know, albums or CDs right, of your favorite uh, rapper. I think that will be a thing, but it won't be as big of a game changer as NFTs in games or certainly not PFPs as digital nations. I think where the intersection between music and crypto will happen is not NFTs. It's the, the other point that you mentioned, which is the fan engagement. I don't think that has to do with NFTs, music NFTs per se, but you may have to do with the, the, the concept of, of DAOs, this community aspect of crypto. I don't know exactly what it is, but that's my, my gut feeling. I would agree with that. The problem with music NFTs is that the, the audio stuff Unlike the visual stuff, it's very hard to go viral, right? Like when you, when you buy a punk, you hold a punk, you put that as your PFP on your, on your Twitter profile. Yeah. It goes viral very quickly. Music is much yeah. harder to go viral because, just because of the, the format of the file. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So, you know, it could be, you know, special limited edition music where, you know, they're power fans. There's a term for it. I think it's called super fans, super fans. Uh, where super fans are very excited and will be, will gladly spend, you know, $100 for that song. And this gives them a sense of community with other super fans, right? That will then give them maybe special access to events. So if, let's say, this singer comes or rapper comes into your town, you get special access to that person, right? Yep. Anyone that's super fan would love to pay for yep. that. Experience. So it's almost access token rather than music NFT. Like you, you turn the the NFT into an access token, access to yeah. to the to the celebrity uh, itself. That's right. Now there are conversations I've heard that you know you could use music as a way to distribute. Like you can give some IP rights. Yeah. I don't know if I buy that because you know IP rights for music at least is so contentious. Especially watching and reading the history around Spotify, they'll never give up their IP rights. There's just no way, right? Maybe if you're an indie founder, indie musician, and you're like, fuck it, like I need to make money and I'll give up some of my rights. Yeah. Otherwise, if let's say, let's just say that that is true and it, 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 IP rights will become a thing, then the way I could see this being monetized in the long run is like you have these DAOs. The DAOs acquire the IP of the music NFTs. They become the sole distributor or become like regional distributor of this music where they earn like fees for distributing that music or licensing that music out to other types of collections or movies or whatever. And then over time, like the money that you return from the DAO, you could ultimately become your own production company or your own record company where you start to acquire talent. And then, you know, you become this like pseudo recording distributor DAO that ultimately returns all of the fees back to the community holders that own a token in that DAO type of thing. I think I agree with you. The, um, the, the, the idea of turning music IPs into NFTs, uh, it's okay, but 
it, it doesn't really solve a hair on fire problem. There's no hair and fire problems yeah. solved, being solved yeah. from this. Oh, but here's a fun, uh, interesting story. Snoop Dogg bought Death Row Records. If you know Death Row Records, it's one of the oldest record companies uh, in rap. And uh, Snoop Dogg recently purchased it. And, the, and he pulled it from Spotify. He pulled it out of Spotify. And uh, he said that he's going to create NFTs around it, is what he said. So I don't know what that means. And how he's going to do it, but um, he has dropped music on Sound.xyz before. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I don't know what he's thinking. I, I've tried to like do more research, but he was very like quiet about what he was thinking about doing with it. Mm -hmm. So I guess we have to wait and see uh, of what's going to happen with that. But he did mention like money was the b biggest reason why he pulled it from Spotify, and this could be the eventual exodus for like large fans or lar large musicians with large fan base because they really have leverage. And now that they see a platform where they can monetize, we'll, we may see an exodus of musicians leaving Spotify and others to start to directly monetize their own content. What do you think of story IPs? Uh, there, ha there have been a couple of um, projects building storytelling uh, IPs, decentralized storytelling I don't know exactly how they work, but that's that's the uh, that's the marketing language. In our last cohort, we had one project called the Story Protocol uh, that we're also building in this area. Uh, but obviously, there's they're also trying to figure this this stuff out. There's still a lot of uh, unknowns. But uh, what do you think of that vertical in general? Very bullish. At least in South Korea and like Southeast Asia, it's uh, very popular to. Uh, contribute your own, like to read like short story, like short stories. Yeah, the, the webtoons, the webtoons, K-pop. You know this this whole like area that the people in the U.S. or Europe or uh, another place are not uh, exposed to mm -hmm. is actually thriving. And typically, like whatever happens in like those areas is usually a precursor for what's going to happen for us, right? Like. Even with anime, like I'm a big anime fan, but anime has been around since like the 60s, 70s, right? Um, and it's just started getting popular in the the 90s here in the US and later. Mm -hmm. So I do think like contributing stories or contributing to a story and then over time owning that IP as a way to build royalties and uh, and uh, reward the user that contributed a story is very powerful. I think where NFTs and storytelling will cross over is uh -huh. not turning the stories into NFTs, but the characters, characters. and the items in yeah. those stories into NFTs. Or why not both? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the problem yeah. with turning stories into NFTs is it has the same problem as music NFTs. Like it's a bunch of text. Yeah, it's it's hard to to go viral. But if you create a really good story that a lot, like think think Marvel, right? Like if you're able to create a story that billions of people around the world. Um, really love, then naturally, if you turn those characters in, from those stories into NFTs, there is a good chance for those NFTs, for those characters to turn into a this uh, this digital nation theme, right? Yep. Again, like it's th the whole story is about PFPs and digital nations, not not NFTs uh, or turning like story IPs into. NFTs or music into NFTs, but the characters in the stories. 
You know, the common theme I'm hearing is everything is going to become its own like nation on the internet. Whether it's a nation around musicians, whether it's nations around gaming, whether it's nation around PFPs, we're going to start to see like these sub communities that will grow much larger than than a subreddit yeah. as an example that will live and breathe in the real world. And people would say why are you hyping up this whole digital nation thing? Like why why isn't it yeah. just called community? Like you know all these like noun styles or whatever they're just communities like they're they're no different from like reddit communities or or discord communities. Yeah. Well, the key difference pre-crypto and post-crypto is that pre-crypto those communities don't have their digitally native treasury that they can manage and own. Yeah, yeah. With crypto, you have treasure Very good point. that you can own and govern and potentially buy stuff in the physical world, such as land, real estate, or whatever. You can actually turn yourself into a digital nation that owns some assets that have your own digitally native property rights. That's the key difference between pre-crypto era and post-crypto era. So it's all about the Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's cool. I'm going to touch on a couple others, which is, you know, metaverse NFTs like Decentraland, Insomnium. I don't think we need to go crazy here because it's essentially just digital land that you're purchasing in these metaverses. And the concept of scarcity is completely removed. And so the idea and concept is like, can you build something valuable that would allow people to be pulled into these ecosystems. So like I've, I've played with Somnium. I played with Decentraline. I hung out there for hours, not hours, but like an hour uh, just to get a understanding, a feeling of why people use these communities. And so far what I've seen is people are using this as a way to host like online events. Right. And that's it. Right. And then people are building stuff, whatever. So you have that, you have something called on cyber, which I think it's, more interesting because on cyber is essentially um, a metaverse where you showcase your art that you've collected with the PFPs. And, you know, people love going to museums because they appreciate the aesthetics, being able to see the actual art uh, can go a long way. And then learning more about the history. And so punk six, five, two, nine launched his own collection on on cyber. He has a great collection by the way. And so I've used it as a way to just check out his content um, I could I could have just gone to OpenSea and done the same thing, but the idea probably is going to be like you're going to wear like a headset, right? And then you're able to appreciate the art, like uh, when I mean by headset, like a Quest from Meta, etc. Tying into like our Meta session a couple sessions ago, and then you're fully immersed into this art and then be able to appreciate the art. Um, eh, you know, like I don't think I'll do that. <laughs> like I'm pretty good with just going on OpenSea. But um, in the future, if everyone's wearing, you know, these goggles or the headsets, then I think it makes sense. So Imran, uh, finally, yep. give me your top five NFT collections that you want to hold for the next two to five years. Oh my God. <sighs> two to five. Autoglyphs. Okay. CryptoPunks. Azuki's. Artifacts. And I'll throw out two more. Fidenza's. And me bits. So most of them are uh, are actually art. Yeah, I have a high appreciation for art, yeah. <laughs> generative <laughs> art. Yeah, <laughs> but I also like um, some of the PFPs, like CryptoPunks, yep. uh, me bits, artifacts, Azuki's. I was a board ape holder uh, in the early days when I first launched, but a lot of stuff they did, you know, 
peak of the bull run towards the end. After you heard the the Eminem Snoop Dogg rap, you you just dumped it. <laughs> rage, rage dumped. <laughs> that was that was horrible music video. Horrible. Like I wanted to throw up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but but yeah, those are mine, and I mean, those are ours. So, <laughs>、um, you know, what, it's a couple of interesting stuff, right? Like Chain Runners、yep. is is building completely on the CC zero concept. And so they have the, this like crypto, like it's called. They're like a punk that live in this like you know dystopian world, and there's a game behind it, and then you can mint a 3D avatar. So there's some really cool stuff happening within the chain runners community. And then the final is like what's happening with Art Gobblers.、Mm. It's a paradigm co-created this project with the creators of Rick and Morty, and the idea is that you know you use really cool game.、Um, Game economics,、uh, game theory, and a way to like incentivize artists to create art. Marry the two together to create something very different. And so the way to think about this is that you know people were on this whitelist, they're airdropped this NFT, which is the Gobbler NFT. So so as long as you hold that NFT, you accrue more Goo tokens. The more you accrue this Goo tokens, you could use that as a way to purchase more art by art Gobblers. And then over time, you can use this as a way to customize the、uh, main NFT. So you could think of it as like a canvas,、mm-hmm. right? And then the art that you can purchase could be then used, like for your canvas type of thing. I'm probably not saying it all the way correctly, but that's the high level concept of it. Which I I think that's really cool. Like the longer you hold, you're incentivized to get more Goo tokens, and use that Goo token as a way to buy more art makes a lot of sense. That's very cool. So those are some of the things that I'm, I'm most excited about recently. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm、uh, other than the art stuff, I agree with everything else.、Uh, I'm again, like, I'm, I'm very excited about this theme of digital nations. I think whichever NFT collections that have the potential to become that, I will be paying attention. So nouns that punks, maybe apes,、uh, those are my interests. Likewise, well, I think we're at the top of the hour here.、Uh, great talk, went pretty deep on the NFT side.、Um, again, thanks for joining our show, and don't forget to subscribe. And we'll see you next time. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening to Good Game. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next week.